Take your scriptures this morning and turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 2. 1 Samuel chapter 2, we'll be reading verses 1 through 11. Cognizant this morning that Christians around the world will celebrate Resurrection Sunday in this month, and realizing that we are in between exegetical studies, verse by verse, in gospel books, having just completed recently the Gospel of John, and soon to pick up the Gospel of Matthew in the month of June, we've dedicated our thoughts in this particular month at worship to Old Testament expressions of resurrection truth. And this morning we come to 1 Samuel chapter 2, and we begin reading in verse 1 through verse 11, where that we have the unique prayer, poem, song of Hannah, the mother of Samuel, as recorded here in the text. And Hannah prayed and said, My heart rejoiceth in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth is enlarged over mine enemies, because I rejoice in thy salvation. There is none holy as the Lord. There is none beside thee. Neither is there any rock like our God. Talk no more so exceedingly or exceeding proudly. Let not arrogancy come out of your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. The bows of mighty men are broken, and they that stumbled are girded with strength. They that were full have hired out themselves for bread, and they that were hungry cease, so that the barren hath borne seven, and she that hath many children is waxed feeble. The Lord killeth and maketh alive. He bringeth down to the grave, and bringeth up. The Lord maketh poor, and maketh rich. He bringeth low, and lifteth up. He raises up the poor out of the dust, and lifteth up the beggar out of the dunghill, to set them among the princes, to make them inherit the throne of glory. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and he hath set the world upon them. He will keep the feet of his saints, and the wicked shall be silent in darkness." By strength shall no man prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Out of heaven shall he thunder upon them. The Lord shall judge the ends of the earth, and he shall give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. And Elkanah went to Ramah, to his house, And the child, Samuel, did minister unto the Lord before Eli the priest. Father, we thank you for the occasion that brings us back to this marvelous prophetic poem. So many things true as stated about you. So many things true as stated about life. But especially, and usually we come to the text, because Hannah had insight concerning your king, the king of kings, your prince, your Messiah, 
the Christ in a way that is most unusual concerning the period in which she lived. And so we pray that today as we begin a new series of study this month concerning blessed expressions in the Old Testament concerning resurrection and life, that you would guide our thinking, prompt our hearts in righteousness, and cause us to be a responsive people to your honor and your glory. Thank you for the occasion this morning. We ask your blessing upon us in Jesus' name and for his blessed sake. Amen. Hannah means grace. The mother of the prophet Samuel has captured the interest of God's people for generations for two things. Number one, her promise. And number two, her prose. Her promise had to do with a son whom we come to know as Samuel. She... uh, had prayed for the boy and got the boy, and her promise was to give the boy uh, to the Lord, and she did. But she's not only known for her promise to God of her own son, but she is known for this prose, this poem, this song, uh, that which some people call the Old Testament Magnificat. 1 Samuel 2, 1 to 11 is the beginning of our month-long preaching series at Worship This Month, focused upon the doctrine of the bodily resurrection as forecast in the Old Testament, alongside the developing thread line of messianic prophecy, or the prophecies that uniquely relate to Jesus the Christ. The Hebrew scriptures, Genesis to Malachi, contain very few statements of resurrection hope even though God had uh, clearly and earlier said to Moses in the days under the law, I kill and I make alive. Deuteronomy 32, 39. Christians around the world this month will celebrate the resurrection of Christ. Easter, as it is commonly called, uh, will be celebrated widely April 17th. Our commitment This spring is to examine some of the key Old Testament scriptures uh, that uh, will uh, ultimately set us up for the launch of a new gospel series uh, in the month of June. This particular month, our focus again is upon the resurrection hope that is found in the Old Testament. There are three individuals in the record of the Old Testament scriptures that were raised from the dead. 1 Kings 17, we're not turning there for the sake of time this morning, but 1 Kings 17 tells us of the miraculous raising of the uh, widow's son from Zarephath at the hands of Elijah, 1 Kings 17. 2 Kings 4 records the miraculous rising of the Shulamite son at the hands of Elisha. Interestingly, all of the Old Testament accounts of resurrection come from two men, Elijah and Elisha. In 2 Kings 13, you have the strange incident uh, during the reign of Jehoash, after, long after Elisha had died, in which some Israeli guy was thrown in a time of war into the tomb of Elisha. 
And when the dead Israeli's body touched Elisha's bones, he, quote, revived and stood up on his feet. Now, that is a funeral I'd like to attend right there. But in all three of those Old Testament cases, like all five of the New Testament accounts of resurrection at the hands of Christ and his apostles, the person raised only lived on earth to physically die again. To date, the only person who died and resurrected and forever lives is our Lord Jesus. The doctrine of resurrection develops slowly in the biblical record as you follow the progression of it from the Torah, first five books of the Old Testament, right on through to the prophets. We know from the New Testament book of Hebrews that Abraham had a very well-defined sense of resurrection hope, as did Job, who was a contemporary in the period of the patriarch. But if we follow the Bible in the order of books found, as in our hands, the first really direct statement of resurrection hope comes from the mother of Samuel, named Hannah. Now what she says in verse 6, by the way, what she says in chapter 2, verse 6, as a part of her prose, as a part of her poem, as a part of her song, uh, what she says is very much like the former occurrence that can be found in Deuteronomy 32, 39, where the Lord said there, I kill and I make alive. You may recall that godly Hannah was notable for her dead womb. She lived with the grief of extended barrenness. Though truly loved by her husband, Elkanah, Hannah had borne no children. Then, when making an appearance at the tabernacle in Shiloh, Hannah prayed and vowed to the Lord that if he would open her womb and give to her a son, that she would give the boy unto the Lord all the days of his life. You can see that in 1 Samuel chapter 1 and verse 11. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if thou wilt indeed look on the affliction of thy handmaid and remember me, and not forget thy handmaid, but will give unto thine handmaid a man-child, then I will give him unto the Lord all the days of his life. And there shall be no razor come upon his head. That's the promise. The promise that Hannah made to the Lord was, if you give me a son, I'll give him back to you. God, of course, gave Hannah her son, and she called him Samuel. And after a period of weaning, Samuel, whose name means heard of God or named of God, Samuel went to live with the high priest, Eli. His mother and father would visit him at holiday time as they came to worship at Shiloh. Hannah worshiped the Lord with sacrifices and praise in that moment of time in which she brought her son uh, to present him to the Lord in the service of the tabernacle at Shiloh after weaning him. 
And during that period, she had prepared a special prayer song. You get a sense of the timing. If you look at chapter 1, verse 27, Hannah says, For this child I prayed, and the Lord hath given me my petition, which I ask of him. Therefore also I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he liveth, he shall be lent to the Lord. And he worshiped the Lord there. And Hannah prayed. Now this prayer is not what we would call impromptu. It's a moment of time. It's affixed to the period when after nursing the child, uh, weaning the child, uh, Hannah brought the child, probably at the age of about three, four, uh, brought the child uh, to uh, uh, the tabernacle to serve under Eli, the high priest. But in that moment of time, as Hannah is prepared with her husband Elkanah uh, to present to the Lord the appropriate sacrifices, uh, in that moment of time, she also uh, had prepared this unique prayer. She had prepared a special prayer song during those days of nursing, and uh, which in that prayer she, she brought together the cherished truths of Yahweh and his sovereign control over all things. Uh, we know that her uh, composition was spirit-driven and with particular acclaim of Yahweh's holiness and Yahweh's strength and Yahweh's salvation. We have referenced her song many times when tracing the messianic prophecy line together because indeed in this section of the word of God, 1 Samuel chapter 2 and at verse 10, you have the very first reference to Messiah or the anointed one as found in the Bible. In fact, you have a clear anticipation in verse 10 of the Jewish king before there ever was a Jewish king. And you have the prediction of the exaltation of the horn of Yahweh's anointed, the word anointed being in the Hebrew, Mashiach, which you and I know as Messiah, and commonly using the Greek title, Christ. Jesus the Christ, Jesus the Messiah. Well, Hannah is the first person in the Bible to speak directly of the Lord's Christ, to speak directly of Mashiach, the anointed one, the Lord Jesus Christ as the title. Now, historically, Hannah's prophetic song reveals in advance something of the content uh, that is recorded in the Bible books of First and Second Samuel. Uh, Samuel is the priestly prophet that anoints Israel's first king, who turns out to be a loser, and then Israel's most beloved king, David. Central to that saga is the fact that God puts down and lifts up as he desires. And by human strength, verse 9, the last part says, shall no man prevail. Ultimately, the best of what we desire in life and forever living is not going to be yielded to us because of what man can do, but because of what God can and will do. 
Now, having spent some time to set up the month-long series this morning and this first uh, text here in 1 Samuel, I want to zero in on the inspired statement that we have in the middle of the prose at verse 6. The Lord, please notice capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. What does it mean? It means we're talking about the personalized name for God, commonly understood by God's people as Jehovah or Yahweh. Yahweh killeth and maketh alive. He bringeth down to the grave and bringeth up. 1 Samuel 2 and verse 6. The inspired statement of Samuel's mother, Hannah. We begin with the first key word, execution. Yahweh, the Lord, killeth. Yahweh makes dead, or kills, as the verse says it. Now, immediately, the scripture in this case is seeking to remind us that God himself set the penalty for human sin as death in clear communication to Adam before sin had ever entered the world. The statement, Yahweh killeth, is not the same as Vladimir Putin killeth. And certainly he does this Sunday morning. And he will be held responsible before the Almighty for his acts of injustice. And it is our prayer that people around the world would stand up and support the Ukrainians in the hour in which they're being humanly oppressed. And yet, ultimately, the only reason that anybody can put to death, like Putin, is because the Lord has determined death to be a thing that has touched my life and your way, life in ways that we cannot ignore. Death is a regular part of our earthly experiences. It is a regular part of life on earth. Why you can't live without fresh evidence of death. And the statement Yahweh kills is not in the Bible so that you and I would let people like Putin off the hook for the injustices that they perpetrate upon others. No, the, the, the statement that Yahweh kills is a bigger, broader, deeper understanding of the fact that the only reason that death is a thing on the earth is because of mankind's sin against God. Adam was told that if he ate of the tree forbidden him, God said he would surely die. He did eat, and he did die after 930 years, by the way. One of the most repeated phrases in the Old Testament is, and he died, and he died, and he died, and he died. Over and over and over and over again, one of the great themes of the Bible is, and he 
she, it died. And of course, you know as a believer that the only reason any sense of it dies, talking about your dog, talking about your cow, talking about your cat, the only reason anything that isn't it dies is because uh, people have brought sin into the world. Death is a reality on the earth because of mankind's sin. We also know that Adam not only died after 930 years, we also know that Adam died immediately after sinning, spiritually speaking. He that was created in all perfection and possessing relationship and fellowship with God unsurpassed, played duck and cover to avoid the creator after he had sinned. God's grace alone provided for Adam covering by shed blood and set an appointed early lifetime in which to live by faith until physical death would come. With the exceptions of Enoch and Elijah, one out of every one person dies. There's a statistic that you don't need a lot of help to understand. Let me say it otherwise. Everybody dies. It is a thing in all the earth. The way we might ask it is, who made it a thing? And the answer is, God did it. God did it. God made it a thing. At funerals, we often quote Hebrews saying, it is appointed unto man once to die. And of course, we know that God alone is the appointer of that once to die. Yahweh made death for sin. Yahweh covers and governs over the timing of every person's earthly life and death. Solomon said it right. There is a time to be born. And there is a time to die. Well, who set that time? I can tell you who set the supper hour <laughs> in my house. But who set the time of birth? For you. And who has determined the day of death? For you. Well, the Bible answer is God and God alone. Solomon says, time to be born, time to die. Paul said, wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. And Paul said, as a matter of fact, death reigned. And if I could say anything in contemporary words, Concerning that truth today, I'd say death reigns. We're still having funerals. We still bury people. Death is a thing for all of us, and it has touched some of us very recently. And when it does, it is life-grabbing. It is absolutely life-grabbing. Death did reign. Death does reign. The Bible phrase, death reigned, means that it reigned before the law was given through Moses, and then it continued to reign after the law was given to Moses. 
Now, there's absolutely no reason to talk about resurrection hope if dying and death are not real. And the vast majority of the things that we hear in our world, even here in the United States, concerning death, just deny the simple realities of the Bible. Many people talk about death like it just simply isn't real. I had a neighbor man. I liked him and his wife, Vic and Idell, as a boy. I knew a neighbor man in the days of my youth that held to the cultic idea that death is not real. And guess what? Vic died. <laughs> he died. You can say to yourself, it's not real. You'll die. But if we listen to the dear woman under governance of God's spirit telling the truth, then we understand what she is talking about when she says, Yahweh killeth, or Yahweh brings death. The coroner may well determine that the death was natural, or that the death was a matter of foul play. But let everyone acknowledge this truth, that the Lord makes dead. Nobody dies ahead of time. Nobody is one second late. Friday, here in Elto, right after supper time, uh, I had finished my supper and I had my second cup of coffee, the most cherished cup of the day. Uh, I had my second cup of coffee and was in my rocking chair in the living room when the Elto Fire Department uh, took off uh, 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 and uh, we heard the, heard the sirens. Later that night, we heard that uh, somebody had crashed their car into a tree right up here on, on the T of uh, 64th Street. That's the street that the gas station is on, 64th Street and Timpson, right there where the T is. Uh, somebody had crashed their, their car, and uh, I, I tried to chase this morning to see who it was and if there were any more details released, but there haven't been, but somebody died uh, in a car crash there uh, on that uh, T in the road, and, uh, and that man or woman uh, is, uh, is dead. God makes dead. That's what the Bible says. Did my, God make that person dead? No, but I can say it was God's appointment of time for them. How it happened may be on them. How it happened may be on somebody else. How it happened may have been a deer that ran across the road and the person swerved, or it may have been too much to drink, or who knows what we'll hear by and by. But whenever anybody dies, whenever anything dies, you and I, as the people of God, should understand this phrase, God killeth. It doesn't make God responsible for that individual sense of death. It is simply saying that God has determined death in evidence for sin, mankind's sin, in all the earth. Hannah, recognizing what had been stated previously in Deuteronomy 32-39 in the Torah, Hannah, in her poem, in her prose, simply says, the Lord kill it. And, aren't you glad the Bible goes on? <laughs> second key word is regeneration. I would have not come this morning if the only thing that I had to, 
to tell about this morning was that the Lord kills. Well, let's just stay home and forget about it. Try to try to numb ourselves to the reality of that. Yahweh does kill. But Hannah's spirit-driven statement goes on to say, and makes alive. Yahweh is the ever-living one. Yahweh is the fountain of life. And his Holy Spirit quickens or makes alive according to his word. God alone possesses eternal life underived. He is the uncreated creator. We are a part of his creation. Any sense of life that we possess at any time, we possess it, is of his goodness and grace. One of the most glorious truths of Yahweh, long understood, is that he planned and he promised to give life to some after taking it. Think of the sequence there. Death will come. But then the promise that Yahweh will bring life to some. And so, dear Hannah, says Yahweh makes dead and Yahweh makes alive. Herein then is the foundation of resurrected life for some individuals. And that brings us quickly to the word, second, third key word, humiliation. All resurrected, ultimately, some to life. Yahweh brings down to the grave, says the next phrase, the Lord killeth and maketh alive, he bringeth down to the grave. Humanity was created of dirt and dust. And to dirt and dust, sinful humanity is appointed. Have you ever thought of the connection between the law of gravity and the word grave, gravitas, seriousness, grave, gravity? They all come from the same root. The law of gravity, of course, is the observable scientific law of down. All things down. Things fall down. They don't fall up. Oh, how I wish on May the 15th, 2015, I could have fallen up the hill rather than down the hill. You could spend your whole lifetime dropping pencils, hoping, just hoping, having great faith that one of those pencils drop would drop up. It won't happen. It will never happen. It will never happen. It's called the law of gravity. There is a Greek word for those that keep dropping pencils, having great faith that one day want to go up, and that's called stupid. <laughs> we say of a person that is emotionally distraught or sad that they are down. We call serious crime and sinful activity grave offenses. Hannah knew that when it comes to all things down, when it comes to all things grave, you must factor in God 
For Yahweh brings down who, what, when, where, as it pleases him. Humiliation of sinners is the work of God. And the more that you meditate upon this verse, the more you realize that Hannah's talking about bigger things than what they appear to be when you first read the simple statements. The word grave here is sheol in the Hebrew, sometimes translated in our English text, hell. It focuses primarily upon physical death, the physical grave. But it also reminds us of God's eternal humiliation of those who do not turn to him in the hour of opportunity and respond to him in the gift of God, which is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. But nonetheless, you have here in the statement, he bringeth down to the grave. You have further thought to build upon the former phrase, the Lord killeth. And then to build upon the phrase, and maketh alive, you have the additional phrase, and and bringeth up, fourth key word, resurrection. Yahweh bringeth up. After he brings down, he bringeth up. Herein is that anti-gravitational truth of God's power to bring a dead person up. Scholars say, and I think they're quite right, that Hannah's reference to raising the dead here sets up the later record in 1 Samuel of God bringing up dead Samuel to confront the wicked king Saul in the presence of a very shocked medium uh, living in Endor. But it is the power of resurrecting life from the grave that is ultimately in view here at the hand of Yahweh. By his incomparable power, by his almighty governance, God who brings down brings up. Hannah knew firsthand that Yahweh could bring life out of a dead womb. And she is the one selected to say that Yahweh can bring life out of death. When we place a body into the grave, we do so with the promise and hope of God that he who appointed a day to go down has also appointed a day to go up. She is an early articulator of resurrection hope. And so Hannah's prophecy here, as all prophecy in the Bible relates, Hannah's prophecy here has a sense of gradual and repeated uh, uh, sense of fulfillment. There's a sense of fulfillment concerning Hannah's prophecy, the Lord kills, the Lord makes alive, the Lord brings down the grave, the Lord bringeth up. There's a sense of fulfillment of that right in the books of First and Second Samuel as it relates to the first king Saul and the second king David and the eternal promise that God gave to him of Mashiach. 
But then, of course, there is more uh, to this prophecy than that. The Lord brings down, the Lord bringeth up, the Lord killeth, the Lord makes alive, the Lord brings down, the Lord brings up. There's more to that prophecy than just the contemporary application of it in First and Second Samuel. You can also apply it to messianic prophecy, as we soon shall, as it relates to the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. As we near uh, the Easter season, uh, uh, people of the faith will be uh, once again contemplating who it is responsible for the death of the Lord Jesus. And of course, we know what Peter preached on the day of Pentecost. He said, certainly he died for our sins. And in that sense, Jesus' death was my fault and your fault. But as to the death that he died, let there be no misunderstanding. He died the death of God the Father's appointment. It is God who killeth. Even his own son. For our sins. In glorious substitution. And it is God who bringeth up. And so the prophetic word of Hannah can be construed and understood within the parameters of 1 and 2 Samuel. It can also be understood within the parameters of messianic promise. And of course, ultimately, we can apply it to the blessedness of the believer who has faith in Jesus Christ. Now, in this particular context, Hannah speaks of, for the very first time, Yahweh's anointed or Yahweh's Mashiach. This idea of a kingly Mashiach fits the historical description of the person David. And of course, as we've already said, it fits the, 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 the person of the son of David, Jesus Christ our Lord. It's fascinating that uh, David himself, in 2 Samuel, David himself in 2 Samuel uses many of Hannah's words and phrases in his praise psalm written and recorded in 2 Samuel 22. David understood that Hannah was talking about things that related directly to his life. David understood that Hannah was talking about things that related directly uh, to the life of his son. And he wasn't thinking... Solomon. It is also to be noted that Hannah's words are later employed by the Virgin Mary as she erupts in praise to God concerning the birth of the Savior. Oftentimes at Christmas, you will have comparisons made between the two biblical magnificats. Hannah's Old Testament magnificat and Mary's New Testament Magnificat. And time will not permit us this morning to read it, but I'll give you the reference so you can look at it at home if you want. Uh, Luke chapter 1, beginning at verse 46, is where you can read Mary's Magnificat. And uh, there are six or seven uh, almost direct word and phrase connections between what we read of Hannah in 1 Samuel chapter 2 and what we read from Mary in uh, Luke chapter 1, beginning at verse 46. And one of the themes 
uh, that you find so dominantly here is that uh, there are people in the sinful world that seem to be up, and yet uh, if they don't turn to God, they'll be going down. And there are people that seem to be down, and uh, in the will of God, they'll be going up. That you and I, in regards to the Lord, anticipate life by means of reversal. That we know that the anecdotal phrase is nonetheless biblically true for the believer. The best is yet to come. Therefore, we live with great hope and not some kind of blue coo floating around as, a, as some kind of a bodiless spirit forever and ever and ever uh, in the great beyond. No, we have bodily resurrection hope. As we'll see and hear Job say it next week, I know in my flesh I shall see God. That's next week. James Coakley, who has written beautifully in this section of the Word of God, uh, summarizes this way. He says, Hannah uses death and resurrection language in the pivotal center of her poem to sing the Lord's praises after her dead womb was brought to life to bear the first kingmaker for the nation of Israel. But the ultimate, ultimate referent, R-E-F-E-R-E-N-T, referent, the ultimate referent is Messiah who will one day judge the ends of the earth. Therefore, in the New Testament gospel record, the angels proclaimed after the crucifixion and burial of the Lord Jesus Christ, quote, he is not here. He is risen as he said. 1 Corinthians 15 asserts that the trumpet will sound and the dead in Christ shall be raised incorruptible. One of the distinctive doctrines of biblical Christianity is the expectation of bodily resurrection. There is no such hope among pagan religions or many other religions in the world, around the world, of bodily resurrection hope. But the Christian hope is a bodily resurrection hope. Those of us with faith in Christ are assured that beyond the sunset, of physical death, there is a blissful morning with God forever. For everybody? Nope. Sorry. Only those who hear and believe. Father, help us this morning to be a responsive people. And if we do have indeed resurrection hope this morning, then help us to carefully refine that hope in the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let no one think that things are okay for now and for eternity because of simply the experiences of life here and now. These are days of faith. But someday our faith will become sight. And the things that have been promised us in Christ will be fulfilled. And this world will be a very, very, very different place. New heaven and a new earth in which only righteousness dwells. That'll be a change. Lord, in the meantime, the times are mean. Help us to exercise ourselves righteously. Help us to be supportive of those who would do right, honor you, stand for truth, and encourage the hearts of your people today, we would pray in Jesus' name and for his blessed sake. Amen.